I hope you all remember that next Sunday is Communion Sunday. We have our fellowship dinner. It's also the 4th of July. It's also our dedication of the new wing. We have a lot to get in next Sunday. Uh, that wing has been a long, hard battle. Uh, <laughs> thought it was going to be easy. Boy, was I wrong on that. Anyway, the kids are going to be in there next Sunday for the first time. And it will be open for everyone who would like to go and uh, take a look at what we've been doing. And uh, you might mark that on your calendar. Let's prepare ourselves this morning in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer, opportunity for rebound if necessary. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, You are our great provider. You are the one that we are to have communion with, fellowship with. Our relationship with You is to be number one. We can't do that apart from taking in Your Word, learning and growing. So we pray that You will help us to focus this morning and that Your Word will go deep into our souls so that we will be able to be conformed to the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For it's in His name we pray. Amen. If you'll open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 8. Joshua chapter 8. As is usually the case... We're going to start a new chapter, but I'm going to go back to chapter 7 for just a bit. Just a quick reminder. One thing that we should have taken home with us last Sunday is the principle that God can turn defeat into victory. That's something that we all need to remember because we all have defeats in our life. Many times we bring that defeat on ourselves. Indeed, that's what happened when the Israelites got their eyes off of the Lord and Achan sinned and God told them, if anybody sins and takes something from Jericho they are not supposed to take, the whole, the whole, all the tribes, all the people are going to be disciplined. We saw that God is faithful to His Word. He is faithful in His promises of blessing as well as... His promises of cursing. So when we have defeat, especially when it's brought on by our own poor decisions, our own arrogance, we need to remember that the solution is always humility. For once the Israelites moved up to Ai to take it with a small force, they thought, I've got this handled. I don't need God. We've already crossed the river. We've already demolished Jericho. So we can handle this. And they were decisively defeated. And it was then when they knew something was terribly wrong and they humbled themselves and sought the Lord. So if you want to turn defeat into victory, the first thing you do is go to the Lord, humble yourself, and if you are responsible for no longer 
keeping your eye on Him, trying to do it yourself, then you need to get right with Him. Then He is the one that will turn that defeat into victory. Just thought I'd give you that little tidbit before we moved on to chapter 8. We've even covered the first verse of chapter 8. I think that's where we ended last time. Joshua chapter 8, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear or be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you and arise. Go up to Ai. See, I have given you into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. There's a lot there. I told you last time that now we're back on track with regards to the triplet pattern that we have in Joshua. That pattern is, first of all, God speaks to Joshua. He gives Joshua instruction. The second part of that triplet is Joshua speaks to the people, and then the people carry out what Joshua says. And that was interrupted in chapter 7 because Joshua didn't wait on instructions as to what he should do, how he should go about taking the city of Ai. And that's why they had big-time trouble. So now we're back on track. And isn't it great to see that we hear that familiar saying we've heard so many times in Joshua, do not fear or be dismayed. And then God gives him instructions. He gives him directions as to to move out. You're going to go against Ai. And he already promises him that it's yours. I've given it to you. Everything. The king, the land, the people. Everything I'm going to give into your hands. That's the gracious God that we have. God does not hold grudges. All He wants from us is humility and obedience. And when we have that, God will give us the victory. And so they were obedient and they did trust the Lord. Aren't you glad that God doesn't keep a score tab of all of your sins, of all of your defeats, of your bad attitude and mine, and then when you really need Him, when the chips are down, that He says, well, remember back when you did so-and-so? That's the way people operate. That's not the way that God operates. When you acknowledge your sins to Him, they are removed as far as the east is from the west. God doesn't even remember them. And so we don't have to be concerned about that. What we do have to be concerned with is being humble. Don't try to connive and get out of your, your jam yourself. I like to say that God can do what we cannot do. He can unscramble eggs and much more. And we also see that he says, Go up to Ai, have given it into your hand. And then in verse 2, And you shall do to Ai and the king just as you did to Jericho and its king. You shall take only its spoil and its cattle as plunder for yourselves and set an ambush for the city from behind it. So God starts giving him instructions as to what he is to do. Now, when he says, you shall do to Ai and its king just as you did to Jericho, I want to look at that for just a moment because there's really a lot more there than what might meet the eye. I guess we'll go to verse 8 first. Drop down to verse 8. 
Joshua 8.8. 8. Then it will be when you have seized the city that you shall set the city on fire and you shall do to it according to the word of the Lord. See, I have commanded you. All right, now we know that after the walls fell, all the Israelites had surrounded Jericho and after the, bl- the last trumpet blast, they all yelled and then they rushed in and it was easy for them to take over the city. And then we also found out that they burned it with fire. I want you to underline, set the city on fire. They set Jericho on fire and now they're going to set Ai on fire. And then in verse 8 it says, You shall do to it according to the word of the Lord as I had commanded to you. What word is he talking about? Well, we're going to go to that word and see a few things that I think are important. So put a bookmark here in Joshua chapter 8. And we're going to see about this word in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 20. Uh, let's see, yeah, chapter 20. In verse 16. Deuteronomy chapter 20 and verse 16. Now this is back when Moses was still in charge and he's giving them instructions. In verse 16 he says, Only in the cities of the peoples that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, you shall not leave anything alive that breathes. You shall utterly destroy them, the Hittite and the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Perizzite, the Hivite and the Jebusite, as the Lord your God has commanded you, in order that they may not teach you to do according to all their detestable things which they have done for their, uh, for their God so that you would sin against the Lord your God. Now, this is what they're going to do to Ai. It's what they did to uh, Jericho. And I hope there's no uh, whining in some people's minds. You can whine in your mind thinking, oh, I don't know, I thought God was love. And this kind of goes against my grain. You start to question the righteousness and the justice of our God. First of all, everything that He does is righteous and just. The punishment that He received was the just punishment. It was the right thing to do. And some say, well, what? yeah, but what about the women and the children? Well, the women were complicit. It wasn't just the men worshiping these false gods and all the abominations that were going on. The, the women were going right along with the men and committing these atrocities. The children that were under the age of accountability, when they died, they're going to wind up in heaven anyway. And those that were of the age of accountability had already made their choice to go along with their fathers and their mothers in in all these abominations that were going on. So you have to think of it in that aspect as well. But we have something in this verse that is maybe one of the most telling things about how God chose to deal with these pagan cities. And that was so that they would not influence you. 
Look at verse... Look at verse um, 18. Verse 18. In order that they might not teach you to do according to all their detestable things which they have done for, for their gods. That's why they had to be eliminated. Everything. And I know we have a lot of animals lover, lovers here. You say, okay, well, I can understand that God doing this with regards to the people. But what about the animals? The animals have nothing to do with this. You're, you're minimizing the depravity of man. Had they left any animals, and by the way, the Canaanites worshipped all kinds of animals, uh, they could have claimed that, well, uh, we have rain. This is the, the Israelites could have started saying, well, we have rain uh, because there's a special donkey that was left behind. This is one of the donkeys or one of the cattle, whatever it may be, or camel, some, some animal that the Canaanites worshipped. And the next thing you know, the animal is getting worship rather than God. This is typical. So we need to not get our... I can't say that illustration. I have to think of another one. <laughs> um, we can't get upset because uh, what this says. I'm sorry I can't come up with a, something better, but that's all that I can think of right now. Uh, I think it's in Deuteronomy. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 11 for a moment. Okay, well, I can't find what I was looking for. I had a um, PowerPoint with all these on here, and it didn't decide to come up today. So we'll just go to Deuteronomy chapter 27. Deuteronomy chapter 27. Then Moses and the elders of Israel charged the people, saying, this is verse 1, Keep all the commandments which I have commanded you today, so it shall be on the day when you shall cross the Jordan to the land which the Lord God gives you, that you shall set up for yourself large stones and coat them with lime. Now, what we're looking at is something that is not actually the day. When it says the day, see, we're going to go to, let me find where I am here. Here it is. Um, when they take the land, they were to, uh, I just found the verse I was looking at, but I'll finish what I'm doing right now. Uh, <laughs> uh, the day, 
doesn't mean on the very day that you cross the Jordan. Uh, the Hebrew word here is bayom, and bayom, b-y-o-y-m, uh, w-m, excuse me, uh, means to participate. It means on the day, or it actually means when you go. It doesn't mean the literal day. In other words, it's a general term. And so what we're going to see here in verse uh, 2, it shall be on the day, should it be better for our translation to understand this as to say, it shall be when you shall cross the Jordan. It says on the day when, but it actually just means when. We know what they did when they immediately after they crossed the Jordan. Remember, they had Passover. That's the first thing they did when they went over there. And then other things happened. So I want you to understand that this is the when. So it should be on the day when or, the, or when you cross the Jordan to the land which the Lord your God gives you that you shall set up for yourselves large stones and coat them with lime. I think what I'm going to do is let's go back to put a, put a bookmark here we'll go back there I'm getting ahead of myself I had this all in order on my uh, PowerPoint so I'm kind of uh, flying by the seat of my pants right now with regards to uh, verse 2 One thing that we're going to see, I'm going to show you a map in a little bit. Uh, you have Ai is the city, and a mile and a half from it, uh, we had uh, another city, and uh, that city is going to be taken as well. It's called Bethel. All this, I'm, I'm going to this because I want to make a point about fire. I guess I better show you on the map now where this, what I'm talking about. What you have here, remember they crossed, here, this is the Jordan River, and they went from Shittim, camped here, crossed the river, and then they went into Jericho, and this shows you them circling Jericho. They defeated Jericho, and now they went up to Ai. This is Ai, and this is Bethel right here. Now, according to the commandment, which is in Deuteronomy, uh, they were to burn the city just like they burned Jericho. And so uh, not only did they burn and take over Ai, they also took over Bethel. Now that's not literally mentioned right here in chapter 8, but in a moment we're going to be going into the battle itself and how they maneuvered and, and they had uh, great tactics in overtaking the city of Ai. And a mile and a half away is Bethel. There's no way that they could keep from, having, from taking that also. In their maneuvering, they were right on Bethel's doorstep. And here's my point here. Both of them were burned with fire. Both of them were taken. Now, in the, this is called the Haley's Bible Handbook. And it has a note here in for Joshua chapter 7 and 8. 
And we remember in chapter 7, according to this, these are archaeological finds that the walls of Jericho suffered greatly. Houses alongside the wall were burned to the ground. The stratum generally was covered with a deep layer of black burnt debris under which there were pockets of white ash overlaid with layers of fallen reddish brick. Now, this is archaeological finds today that substantiate the Bible that when this city existed, it was destroyed and it was burned with fire. In chapter 7, I think, is, is it verse 18? 618. Yeah, uh, they were to um, not take anything, not anything even to eat. They had to depend on the Lord. And furthermore, in this chapter, it says that there were foodstuffs, barley, wheat, lentils, and so forth, that were turned to charcoal by intense heat. Uh, That's all had to do with Jericho. So we have archaeological evidence that Jericho was burned. But we also have this note. Bethel, according to the statements in Joshua 8, 9, 12, 17, that it was, uh, was a joint battle, both Ai and Bethel being included. Especially in Joshua chapter 12 and verse 16. We're in Joshua. Just go to verse 12 for a moment. Joshua chapter 12 and verse 16. Now, what, what, I'm, what I'm substantiating here is the fact that Ai went down with... Uh, excuse me, Bethel went down with Ai and they attacked it and destroyed it in the same fashion that they destroyed Ai and Jericho. Now, this is a list of kings that the Israelites had conquered. Verse 16 says, The king of Makeda won. Each time it says, This is one, counting one. The king of Bethel won. You see that? This is just a whole list of kings that they're showing that Joshua and the Israelites had taken over. So what I'm showing you is that Bethel was destroyed, the king was destroyed, even though the Bible doesn't mention it in the earlier chapters of Joshua, especially in detail here, we know that it was destroyed. Now, it had to be destroyed in the same manner, and that is everything that was there had to uh, die, everything that breathed, and it also burned with fire. Now, there's a mound in uh, Bethel, that was excavated by uh, the Kyle Memorial Expedition. Uh, W.F. Albright, you may have heard of him, was the, was the uh, ramrodder of this. And they found that it had been destroyed at a time coinciding with Joshua's invasion by a tremendous conflagration which raged with peculiar violence. There was a solid mass five feet thick of fallen brick Burned red, by, uh, burned red, black ash filled the earth and charred and splintered debris. Albright said he had seen nowhere in Palestine indications of a more destructive conflagration. So, what I'm trying to show you 
is that when we see that it is burned with fire in verse 8, in verse 2 it says, you shall do as you did to Jericho. We're connecting dots here. What we're finding is Jericho was burned with fire. Bethel was burned with fire. Everything was, was uh, killed. And when you go to excavation places today, you know, they have mounds. That's the neat, one of the neat things about the Bible. You can find that it's not just story tales uh, and, and nursery rhymes or anything of the sort. The cities that were there are no longer there. A lot of times they would build cities on top of cities. And there are mounds. But when you start digging down, it's evidence. And isn't it great that we have the Word of God that is substantiated by archaeological finds? We find that this is indeed true. So, I'm going to go back. I'm trying to uh, keep from being taking you so in circles that you lose my point because I nearly lost it. <laughs> okay, back to Joshua chapter 8, verse 2. And you shall do to Ai its king just as you did to Jericho and its king. Now, that's what I've been explaining to you. They did it. It can be proven that they did it. You shall take only the spoil and its cattle and its plunder to yourselves. Now, this is different from Ai. They did the same thing to the city, but in Ai, excuse me, in Jericho, in Jericho, they weren't to take anything. Achan just was so impatient, he couldn't wait, and he went in there and got some goodies, and boy, did they ever pay for it. Had he just had a little more patience, he could have taken all to his heart's content, and it wouldn't have been any discipline. There wouldn't have been any uh, disaster that would uh, take place. So now they can take things for themselves. Now, in verse, the end of verse 2, it starts setting up the tactics. He says, you yourself set an ambush for the city behind it. Verse 3. So Joshua rose with all the people of war to go up to Ai. Notice that. I'm not, all the people of war. Remember in chapter 7 what he did? He went up with 3,000 people. This time he's going to take ten times that many. That is the... Remember I had the, the PowerPoint with the, uh, the, the force when it is all in one point, concentration of force, then you have more power. And this is what they're going to go... Even though AI is smaller than Jericho, they're taking it... Uh, God has given the instructions. He says, take all. Take everyone with you all the people of war, to go up to Ai. And Joshua chose 30,000 men, valiant warriors, and set them out at night. And he commanded them, saying, See, you are going to ambush the city from behind. Do not, do not go very far from the city, but all of you be ready. Then I and all the people who are with me will approach the city, and it will come about when, you, when they come out, of, out to meet us at the first, that we will flee before them. They will come out after us until we have drawn them away uh, from the city. For they will say, they are fleeing before us as at the first, so we will flee before them. Not flee, but he means they are going to chase them. Do you see what's happening here? They had gone up in chapter 7, and they hadn't got directions from the Lord. They did it all on their own. They were arrogant. They thought they could take this with just 
3,000 men, no big deal. And they were decisively defeated. And now the Lord is going to direct them. He's telling Joshua, okay, this is how we're going to maneuver and pull this off. They're going to set a trap. There's, a, there's going to be a whole force over on one side, out of sight. And the Israelites are going to go up to Ai like they did before. And then when the people start, uh, the, the, the battle starts, it's going to look like they're afraid. And they turn and they start running. And then it's the people in Ai, the warriors there, that get arrogant. They have, uh-huh, look at the cowards. Just as they did before, let's get them. We're going to really uh, give them what for. And so they take out. That was the plan. So, verse 7. And you shall rise from your ambush and take possession of the city, for the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand. Underline that. It's the Lord that's going to deliver it into your hand. Joshua was a great tactician. He was a marvelous general. The one in command, he, he, he was just perfect in what he was doing. But the victory did not depend upon the tactics, the number of men or anything. What did it depend on? It's the Lord that gave it into their hands. Verse 8, we just saw this a moment ago. Then it will be when you have seized the city that you shall set the city on fire. You shall do it according to the word of the Lord. See, I have commanded you. That's what we've already gone over with the burning and so forth. So... Joshua, see, here's what we have, the Lord talking to Joshua. Now, here's the pattern. So, uh, Joshua is going to now instruct the people. So, Joshua sent them away, and they went to the place of ambush and remained between Bethel and Ai on the west side of Ai. But Joshua spent the night among the people. Now, one of the things we want to see here also is that Joshua was on the move. He was on the offense. And the people of Ai, like the people of Jericho, were on the defense. Now, unfortunately, most Christians are in a defensive mode. Uh, they, they are going to try to defend the faith, but they're not going to be on the attack. They're not going to be aggressive. They're not going to go out and witness to people now, someone comes to their door, if they, uh, they might, but they're not looking for opportunities. And that's, that's a defeatist attitude. And one reason that these cities were defeated was because all they, had, all they could do is try to keep from being defeated. They could not win the victory. All they were trying to do is to survive. But not so with Joshua. He's out there on the front. He's on the front lines. Then, verse 10, Now Joshua rose early in the morning and mustered the people and he went up with the elders of Israel before the people to Ai. Look at this. Joshua was right out there with them, not like the generals you have today. Uh, I think that things might be quite different if the generals and the military leaders today were out there on the front lines with the troops leading like Joshua was. Uh, things would probably be somewhat different. Verse 11. Then all the people of war who were with him went up and drew near and arrived in front of the city and camped on the north side of Ai. Now, there, were, there was a valley between him and Ai. So they're carrying out what they've been instructed, instructed to do. Verse 11, He took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai 
on the west side of the city. So you understand what's happening. These are the guys that have gone out of sight and they're waiting. What's going to happen? They're going to draw the troops. They're going to draw the army out of Ai from behind the walls. They're going to start pursuing Israel. And when they get far enough out, then they're going to close the trap. Those that are in ambush are going to come in from behind them. The ones that were, were fleeing are going to turn around and face them. They're going to be sur surrounded and they're going to be wiped out. That's what's being set up here. Verse 13, So they stationed the people, all the army that was on the north side of the city and its, and its rear guard on the west side of the city. And Joshua spent the, that night in the midst of the valley. And it came about when the king of Ai saw it that the men of the city hurried and rose up early and went out to meet Israel in battle. He and all his people at the appointed place before the desert plain. But he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua and all the people pretended to be beaten before them and fled by the way of the wilderness. And all the people who were in the city were called together to pursue them. And they pursued Joshua and were drawn away from the city. So not a man was left in Ai or Bethel. Underline that. Let's see, Bethel is included in this whole thing. They went and left the city unguarded and pursued Israel. Now, this, this is a huge monumental mistake. And I think one reason that it happened this way was because the people were the people were arrogant. They thought, uh huh, those Israelites they had a chance to 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 be famous here, especially the king. Remember how several times it says all the people in in the land of Canaan, all these pagans were just literally shaking in their boots when they heard of a conquest of Israel on the east side of the Jordan, that greatly worried them. And then they amassed on the east side of the Jordan and they thought, well, this really troubles us, but you know they've got this mile-wide river between them. There's no way they can cross that. And then the next thing you know, they get reports that they not only did they cross it, they crossed it on dry ground. And now they're going preserco. They get all the people in the walls behind the cities. They left all the food out there for the Israelites. And they heard how Jericho was supernaturally, uh, the, the walls fell down and it's conquered and everybody was killed. All the animals were killed. Everything was burned. And now they're going to Ai. And everybody had heard about this. So when the king of Ai saw them run the first time when God wasn't behind it, he made the fatal error of thinking, aha, these are a bunch of cowards. And this time... When they, when they flee, when they uh, retreat, we're going to go after them, we're going to wipe them out, and everybody is going to think we are the greatest. That's what was on their minds when they left. See, not any person would know. You don't leave a city completely unguarded. Women and children there, and, and, uh, but it, what the driving force here was vanity and fame. They wanted, uh, it was actually pride. So this is why they did this. And you just don't leave it unguarded. You don't leave a city with all, all the people in it uh, unguarded. Now, uh, verse 18. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out your javelin 
that is in your hand towards Ai, for I will give it into your hand. Look at that. Underline it again. Over and over, he's reminded. I'm going to give it to you. I'm telling you what to do. And they were brave and they did what he said, but it's God that's given it to them. For I will give it into your hand. So Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand toward the city, and the men in ambush rose quickly. This is his sign. This is, okay, this is the point in time to close the trap. And the men in the ambush rose quickly from the place, and when he had stretched out his hand, they ran and entered the city and captured it, and they quickly set the city on fire. There we have that fire business again. When the men of Ai turned back and looked, behold, the smoke of the city had ascended to the sky, and they had no place to flee this, this way or that, for the people who had been fleeing to the wilderness turned against the pursuers. This was part of their trick. When Joshua and all Israel saw that the men in ambush had captured the city and that the smoke of the city ascended, they turned back and slew the men of Ai. So that was kind of, once they knew that the, all the soldiers had left pursuing the Israelites, there was a holding force in the back that went in and took the city and burned it, and they saw the smoke. And that's when another force came in from the side and enveloped them, and they were massacred. And the others came out from the city to en- encounter them so that they were trapped in the midst of, the, of Israel some on this side and some on that side. It means they were surrounded. And they slew them until no one was left of those who survived or escaped. But they took alive the king of Ai and brought him to Joshua. So everybody is slaughtered. There's no one left except one person, the king. And his time is short. Now, this took perfect timing, and the trap worked perfectly. Verse 23, But they took alive the king of Ai and brought him to Joshua. Now, it came about when Israel had finished killing all the inhabitants of Ai in the field in the wilderness where they pursued them, and all of them were fallen by the edge of the sword until they were destroyed, Then all Israel returned to Ai and struck it with the edge of the sword. So, uh, verse 25. And all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all the people of Ai. For Joshua did, did not withdraw his hand with which he stretched out the javelin until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. Israel took only the cattle and the spoil of that city and the plunder for themselves according to the word of the Lord which he had commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai. That's the third time now he's saying that he burned it. Burned Ai and made a heap that would be a a heap of stones essentially forever. Made it a heap. A desolation until until this day. Now this day doesn't mean our day. It means the time that this was written. And it's been desolated, been completely destroyed, and even to the time that this was written, it was still that way. Verse 29. And he hanged the king of Ai on a tree until evening, and at sunset Joshua gave command that they should... They took his body down from the tree, 
And they threw it at the entrance of the city gate and raised over it a great heap of stones that stands to this day. I hope you all don't have squeamish stomachs about all this because there's great illustrations in here. And it really kind of gives us contact with reality. Most of us have never been in battle. Most of us have never seen the atrocities that take place throughout history. When you have uh, an army that um, comes in and destroys, it's not a pretty sight. And what, what these soldiers were doing was righteous indignation carrying it out. But this is what I want you to notice. The king of Ai was executed. He's probably stoned to death and then hung in a tree. They didn't hang him like, you know, with a noose around the neck. They stoned him to death, and then that bloody pulp would be hung in a tree. Now, what is that for? Do you all remember? That's capital punishment. The reason they were hung in a tree is to be a deterrent. Everybody would see that. Everybody would recognize this is what happens for those who rise against God's people. It sent a message. And then they took his body and they put it at the gate of the city and they put a, a great heap of stones over it. And it was done actually as a memorial. Now, does this sound familiar Familiar about these stones? Listen to this. What was left behind after the Israelites crossed the Jordan River? Piles of stones, right? Okay. Heap of stones. What was left behind... When the Israelites, Israelites left Jericho, pile of stones, all the walls were nothing but a heap of stones. What was left on top of the body of Achan who disobeyed God and caused the defeat of Israel? Heap of stones, right? And now we have another heap of stones left behind on top of the body of King Ai. Now what's going on here? What are all these heaps of stones about? Do you remember why when they crossed the river they put the, the heaps of stones there in a certain way? They were living a historical memory trace that God goes into space and time and He acts. And you could, of course, everything has changed over, over about 3,000 years now or so. But for a long time, those heaps of stones were giving a message. In each case, it was telling people that we have a great, powerful, almighty God and you don't want to mess with Him. That's the message. And so we have all these stones uh, left behind. The people of all ages to come would know that uh, God, the God of Israel, is fearful, faithful, powerful, and great. And now we have it recorded in our Bible. This is... What we have here is even better than a pile of stone because God's Word, His Word lives and abides forever. By, by the way, the word Ai in Hebrew means desolation or ruins. I think, what do you think of when you think of ruins? What I think is a pile of stones. So everywhere they went, they were taking care of God's business and these memory traces we're given all over the place. Okay, um, now we're in Joshua. Are y'all still in Joshua? Okay. 
Let's take a breath. Let's regroup. Because we're going to verse 30. And verse 30 changes. the whole. It's nearly as if a chapter break is going to happen here. And what you're going to see, we just have time to just introduce this, but what you're going to see is fantastic in verse 30 through 35 is just amazing. Verse 30, Then Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, in Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the sons of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones on which no man had wielded an iron tool and had uh, that they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And he wrote there on the stones a copy of the law of Moses which he had written in the presence of the sons of Israel. And all Israel with their elders and officers and their judges were standing on both sides of the ark before the Levitical priest who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord. The strangers as well as the native, half of them stood in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had given commandment, commanded at first to bless the people of Israel. Then afterward he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded which Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel with the women and the little ones and the strangers who were living among them. Now, what I'm, you can't understand what I'm going to explain to you here why this is so amazing. I'm, I, I read this and I just told you how amazing it is and you're probably sitting there thinking... What's so amazing about this? I don't even understand it. What's the big deal? It's all so amazing. Well, you can't understand what's amazing until you read the first verse of chapter 9. So let's read it. Now, it came about when all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the lowland and on all the coast of the great sea towards Lebanon, the Hittite and the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite heard of it, they gathered themselves together with one accord to fight with Joshua and with Israel. Now, this is what's so amazing. Here, Joshua knew that he is going to have to do battle again. He knows that they are amassing their troops together. He knows that there's going to be a great conflict. Let me show you where this is, where Mount Ebal is. This is where this is going to come in handy, I think. Let me get this here. Go down one. Okay. I was going to get this on a bigger. Here we have crossing Jericho. Here's Ai and Bethel. Now they're going to worship. And here is Mount Abel, uh, Ebal and uh, Mount Gerizim. Look how far they're going to travel right up in the middle of the heart of Canaanite territory where they're going to where all these kings are amassing their forces, and they're going to take the women and children up there. I don't know, 25, about, just about 20, 25 miles up here that they have to travel, take their whole entourage up here. And they're going to go up there, and they're going to make an altar, and they're going to worship, and he's going to read the whole law. And what are the, what's the enemy doing during this time? What are they doing? 
They're amassing their troops. They could have been hit at any time. Instead of after the victory at Ai preparing because he knew they were going to consolidate their forces and wham, they were going to come, instead of being on the red alert and considering tactics and everything that they're going to use in the next battle, what does he do? He takes his people 20 to 25 miles up there at a place and he's going to be building an altar and he's going to be reading the law. I don't know how long this takes, but this takes several days, maybe a week. I don't know how long it took to do it. Can you understand my point now? Do you remember what happened? Let's see where it was. Um, I have to look at my my note to tell which chapter this was. You remember when they crossed the river? And uh, it's in Joshua chapter five, verse two. Remember when they crossed the river? Don't turn. You don't have to turn to. It. I'm just going to tell you about it. In Joshua chapter five, verse two, they had just crossed the river. And they were going to have the Passover. And they had the, the river to their back. They had mountains on each side. And all the people were there. They were in a very vulnerable place. And what do they do? You think they're getting ready. And boy, we better prepare because it could happen any time. What do they do? They circumcised all the guys. Or nearly all of them. And it, it took days for them to be able to recover. So in their weakest point, the, they... They're doing it in obedience. Remember, that was a great, it was really great for that to occur because now the curse that was on the Israelites that were in the wilderness was lifted. And these, they, see, the, the Israelites, when they were in the wilderness, did not carry out the law and have the, the, the little boys circumcised. In all those years, for 40 years, they hadn't done that. And so now when they crossed the river and they were going to, before they even were going to hit the first city, Jericho, when they were most vulnerable, they were all circumcised and they were all, let's say, um, were not physically fit. Uh, they were at a, a very dangerous for them to do that. And yet Joshua did it in obedience because he trusted the Lord. I'm going to obey God and I'm going to depend upon Him to protect us. We have the same situation here. Do you understand it? Now they're in another very vulnerable position. Uh, the, the word has gotten out. All the people, everything that breathes, and the cities are burned, is completely destroyed. And so the kings finally get the idea, okay, we better mass our troops. We're going to mass our troops and we'll hit them and we'll hit them hard. Joshua knew this. He knew that when he takes this 20, 25-mile trek up there, and rather than setting the flanks, defenses, and all this, what is he concentrating on? He's concentrating on the Lord and being obedient. He's, he's building an altar and reading the law. Listen, I don't know how long it takes to get all these people on this mountain, all the, people's on that, all the people on that mountain, and he's going he's gonna to read the law. By the way, that made great acoustics, the, the way that that worked. They didn't have microphones then, but they had their way. And... I don't have time today, but boy, when we, why, didn't they, why didn't they chisel the stones? Why did they? He say, every, every altar that was going to be made to God was never to have a chisel on it. That was part of the Mosaic Law, and it's reiterated here. Don't put a chisel on it. Just get natural rocks and build this altar. I don't have time to get into that. It's really neat, but you'll have to tune in next time. <laughs> Do you see how how great this is, that they're going to do this 
And we're going to go back and see. Remember when I said Deuteronomy chapter 11 that I couldn't find? I went there. Uh, well, I found the notes. It's in Deuteronomy 11, verse 26 through 32. And this same thing that they're going to do was specifically given, and they were they, what they were doing was carrying it out. Now, let me, let me get to the bottom line here. This thing in our life, there are challenges, there are issues that we have to face. And sometimes if we're going to follow the Lord, if we're going to be obedient and trust Him, in our minds, it's going to make us even more vulnerable. Some people would say, you're crazy to do that. However, we are to be faithful to the Lord. We are to trust and obey. Trust and obey, right. And when we obey Him, what does that mean we can do? We can relax. Listen, Joshua was not biting his fingernails down to the second knuckle when he did this. He was relaxed because he had great faith in the Lord. He knew what the Lord wanted him to do. He was obeying the Lord. And even though the, the kings were amassing, there was a king greater than all those kings put together. That's the one he put his trust in. That's what we're to do. Now, please, at this point, I'd like for you to bow your head and close your eyes. This concludes our service for today, except for the most important part for those of you. might be someone here that doesn't understand the grace of God, how to be saved. That issue can be settled this morning. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. What does that mean? Most people are trusting in their own works in order to get to heaven. The Bible tells us that our works are as filthy rags, that the only way that we can have eternal life is to believe in Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God. He went to the cross. He died for your sins. He was buried. He rose again and now offers eternal life to anyone who will trust Him and Him alone for it. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to walk an aisle, raise your hand. When you believe and trust in His work on the cross rather than your own, in that moment you are born again. You become a royal family member of God and your ticket to heaven is guaranteed. You can do it right now in your own mind by choosing to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank You for being able to delve into Your Word this morning. We read these accounts of people who went before us. And they're not there just for us to be able to say we covered the book of Joshua. They're there for our admonition, for us to learn from their mistakes, for us to be able to be encouraged that we can trust our great and mighty God and never fear. And we pray that you will help us to think about these things in the palm in our life. For we pray it in Christ's most high and holy name. Amen.